Section 15 of Natural Theology by William Paley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 13. Peculiar Organizations. I believe that all the instances which I shall collect under this title might consistently enough with technical language have been placed under the head of comparative anatomy. But there appears to me an impropriety in the use which that term hath obtained, it being in some sort absurd to call that a case of comparative anatomy in which there is nothing to compare, in which a confirmation is found in one animal which hath nothing properly answering to it in another. Of this kind are the examples which I have to propose in the present chapter. And the reader will see that, though some of them be the strongest, perhaps, he will meet with under any division of our subject, they must necessarily be of an unconnected and miscellaneous nature. To dispose them, however, into some sort of order, we will notice, first, particularities of structure which belong to quadrupeds, birds, and fish as such, or to many of the kinds included in these classes of animals, and then such particularities as are confined to one or two species. 1. Along each side of the neck of large quadrupeds runs a stiff, robust cartilage, which butchers call the pax wax. No person can carve the upper end of a crop of beef without driving his knife against it. It is a tough, strong, tendinous substance, braced from the head to the middle of the back. Its office is to assist in supporting the weight of the head. It is a mechanical provision, of which this is the undisputed use, and it is sufficient, and not more than sufficient, for the purpose which it has to execute. The head of an ox or a horse is a heavy weight, acting at the end of a long lever, consequently with a great purchase, and in a direction nearly perpendicular to the joints of the supporting neck. From such a force, so advantageously applied, the bones of the neck would be in constant danger of dislocation if they were not fortified by this strong tape. No such organ is found in the human subject, because, from the erect position of the head, the pressure of it acting nearly in the direction of the spine, the junction of the vertebrae appears to be sufficiently secure without it. This cautionary expedient, therefore, is limited to quadrupeds. The care of the creator is seen where it is wanted. 2. The oil with which birds prune their feathers, and the organ which supplies it, is a specific provision for the winged creation. On each side of the rump of birds is observed a small nipple, yielding upon pressure a butter-like substance, which the bird extracts by pinching the pap with its bill. With this oil or ointment, thus procured, the bird dresses its coat, and repeats the action as often as its own sensations teach it that it is in any part wanted, or as the excretion may be sufficient for the expense. The gland, the pap, the nature and quality of the excreted substance, the manner of obtaining it from its lodgment in the body, the application of it when obtained, form, collectively, an evidence of intention which it is not easy to withstand. Nothing similar to it is found in unfeathered animals. What blind conatus of nature could produce it in birds should not produce it in beasts. 3. The air-bladder also of a fish affords a plain and direct instance, not only of contrivance, but strictly of that species of contrivance which we denominate mechanical. It is a philosophical apparatus in the body of an animal. The principle of the contrivance is clear. The application of the principle is also clear. The use of the organ to sustain, and, at will, also to elevate, the body of the fish in the water is proved by observing, what has been tried, that, when the bladder is burst, the fish grovels at the bottom, and also that flounders, soles, skates, 
which are without the air bladder, seldom rise in the water and that with effort. The manner in which the purpose is attained, and the suitableness of the means to the end, are not difficult to be apprehended. The rising and sinking of a fish in water, so far as it is independent of the fins and tail, can only be regulated by the specific gravity of the body. When the bladder, contained in the body of the fish, is contracted, which the fish probably possesses a muscular power of doing, the bulk of the fish is contracted along with it, whereby, since the absolute weight remains the same, the specific gravity, which is the sinking force, is increased and the fish descends. On the contrary, when in consequence of the relaxation of the muscles, the elasticity of the enclosed and now compressed air restores the dimensions of the bladder, the tendency downwards becomes proportionably less than it was before, or is turned into a contrary tendency. These are known properties of bodies immersed in a fluid. The enameled figures, or little glass bubbles in a jar of water, are made to rise and fall by the same artifice. A diving machine might be made to ascend and descend upon the like principle, namely by introducing into the inside of it an air vessel which, by its contraction, would diminish, and by its distension enlarge, the bulk of the machine itself, and thus render it specifically heavier or specifically lighter than the water which surrounds it. Suppose this to be done, and the artist to solicit a patent for his invention. The inspectors of the model, whatever they might think of the use or value of the contrivance, could by no possibility entertain a question in their minds whether it were a contrivance or not. No reason has ever been assigned, no reason can be assigned, why the conclusion is not as certain in the fish as it is in the machine, why the argument is not as firm in one case as the other. It would be very worthy of inquiry, if it were possible to discover by what method an animal, which lives constantly in water, is able to supply a repository of air. The expedient, whatever it be, forms part, and perhaps the most curious part, of the provision. Nothing similar to the air bladder is found in land animals, and a life in the water has no natural tendency to produce a bag of air. Nothing can be further from an acquired organization than this is. These examples mark the attention of the Creator to the three great kingdoms of His animal creation, and to their constitution as such. The example which stands next in point of generality, belonging to a large tribe of animals, or rather to various species of that tribe, is the poisonous tooth of serpents. 1. The fang of a viper is a clear and curious example of mechanical contrivance. It is a perforated tooth, loose at the root, in its quiet state lying down flat upon the jaw, but furnished with a muscle which, with a jerk and by the pluck as it were of a string, suddenly erects it. Under the tooth, close to its root, and communicating with the perforation, lies a small bag containing the venom. When the fang is raised, the closing of the jaw presses its root against the bag underneath, and the force of this compression sends out the fluid with a considerable impetus through the tube in the middle of the tooth. What more unequivocal or effectual apparatus could be devised for the double purpose of at once inflicting the wound and injecting the poison? Yet, though lodged in the mouth, it is so constituted, as in its inoffensive and quiescent state, not to interfere with the animal's ordinary office of receiving its food. It has been observed also that none of the harmless serpents, the black snake, the blind worm, etc., have these fangs, but teeth of an equal size, not movable as this is, but fixed into the jaw. 2. In being the property of several different species, the preceding example is resembled by that which I shall next mention, which is the bag of the opossum. 
This is a mechanical contrivance most properly so called. The simplicity of the expedient renders the contrivance more obvious than many others, and by no means less certain. A false skin under the belly of the animal forms a pouch into which the young litter are received at their birth, where they have an easy and constant access to the teats, in which they are transported by the dam from place to place, where they are at liberty to run in and out, and where they find a refuge from surprise and danger. It is their cradle, their asylum, and the machine for their conveyance. Can the use of this structure be doubted of? Nor is it a mere doubling of the skin, but it is a new organ furnished with bones and muscles of its own. Two bones are placed before the os pubis and joined to that bone as their base. These support, and give a fixture to, the muscles which serve to open the bag. To these muscles there are antagonists which serve in the same manner to shut it, and this office they perform so exactly that in the living animal the opening can scarcely be discerned except when the sides are forcibly drawn asunder. Is there any action in this part of the animal, any process arising from that action, by which these membranes could be formed, any account to be given of the formation except design? 3. As a particularity, yet appertaining to more species than one, and also as strictly mechanical, we may notice a circumstance in the structure of the claws of certain birds. The middle claw of the heron and cormorant is toothed and notched like a saw. These birds are great fishers, and these notches assist them in holding their slippery prey. The use is evident, but the structure such as cannot at all be accounted for by the effort of the animal or the exercise of the part. Some other fishing birds have these notches in their bills, and for the same purpose. The gannet, or soland goose, has the side of its bill irregularly jagged, that it may hold its prey the faster. Nor can the structure in this, more than in the former case, arise from the manner of employing the part. The smooth surfaces and soft flesh of fish were less likely to notch the bills of birds than the hard bodies upon which many other species feed. We now come to particularities strictly so called as being limited to a single species of animal. Of these I shall take one from a quadruped and one from a bird. 1. The stomach of the camel is well known to retain large quantities of water and to retain it unchanged for a considerable length of time. This property qualifies it for living in the desert. Let us see, therefore, what is the internal organization upon which a faculty so rare and so beneficial depends. A number of distinct sacs or bags, in a dromedary thirty of these have been counted, are observed to lie between the membranes of the second stomach and to open into the stomach near the top by small square apertures. Through these orifices, after the stomach is full, the annexed bags are filled from it, and the water so deposited is, in the first place, not liable to pass into the intestines, in the second place is kept separate from the solid aliment, and in the third place is out of the reach of the digestive action of the stomach or of mixture with the gastric juice. It appears probable, or rather certain, that the animal, by the conformation of its muscles, possesses the power of squeezing back this water from the adjacent bags into the stomach whenever thirst excites it to put this power in action. 2. The tongue of the woodpecker is one of those singularities which nature presents us with when a singular purpose is to be answered. It is a particular instrument for a particular use, and what except design ever produces such? The woodpecker lives chiefly upon insects lodged in the bodies of decayed or decaying trees. 
for the purpose of boring into the wood it is furnished with a bill straight hard angular and sharp when by means of this piercer it has reached the cells of the insects then comes the office of its tongue which tongue is first of such a length that the bird can dart it out three or four inches from the bill in this respect differing greatly from every other species of bird in the second place it is tipped with a stiff sharp bony thorn and in the third place which appears to me the most remarkable property of all this tip is dentated on both sides like the beard of an arrow or the barb of a hook the description of the part declares its uses the bird having exposed the retreats of the insects by the assistance of its bill with a motion inconceivably quick launches out at them this long tongue transfixes them upon the barbed needle at the end of it and thus draws its prey within its mouth if this be not mechanism what is should it be said that by continual endeavors to shoot out the tongue to the stretch the woodpecker species may by degrees have lengthened the organ itself beyond that of other birds what account can be given of its form of its tip how in particular did it get its barbs its dentation these barbs in my opinion wherever they occur are decisive proofs of mechanical contrivance three i shall add one more example for the sake of its novelty it is always an agreeable discovery when having remarked in an animal an extraordinary structure we come at length to find out an unexpected use for it the following narrative furnishes an instance of this kind the babirusa or indian hog a species of wild boar found in the east indies has two bent teeth more than half a yard long growing upwards and which is the singularity from the upper jaw these instruments are not wanted for defense that service being provided for by two tusks issuing from the under jaw and resembling those of the common boar nor does the animal use them for defense they might seem therefore to be both a superfluity and an encumbrance but observe the event the animal sleeps standing and in order to support its head hooks its upper tusks upon the branches of trees end of section fifteen